Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Lance Meadow, John Schmelk with you, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you can. We've been quiet on Twitter, so get your tweets in. We'll try to get to them at some point over the course of the show. I want to remind you, it's all brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464. For more details, we'll get into the X's and O's of the game, of course, but we'll have to start with... Obviously, the big story coming off the game on Sunday is that Eli Manning, after you know a season where he got pulled after two games, came back, uh, lost the lead in Philadelphia on Monday night. Uh, rough season in 2018 record-wise. Comes back. And, of course, the last season with Ben McAdoo as well was not very good for him record-wise. Uh, in what could be perhaps his last start for the Giants at MetLife Stadium. Comes out, leads the Giants to a victory. They scored 29 points in the second half. And come away with a rather convincing win, Lance. Yeah, they outscored him 29-3 in the second half initially, it looked like, before the Dolphins uh, had that late touchdown. But to me, it was a typical Eli Manning performance, John, in the fact that he had the three interceptions, but he brushed it aside and you know did what was necessary to help the Giants score four touchdowns in the second half. And just to note, one of those interceptions was a heave at the end of the of half. Of course. So it yeah. was really two. But the bottom line is, there were some mishaps. Everything was not clean. And yep. He was able to overcome that, and we've seen that time and time again throughout Eli's career where, you know, he's not about the statistics, he's not about the pretty stat sheet. To me, actually, the best parallel is in the NBA, you see the guys that refuse to take the half-court shot at the end of a half, right, <laughs> Correct, because they don't yeah. want their shooting percentage, John, to go down. So Eli's decision, to your point, with trying to make something happen at the end of the first half was, you know what? We'll try to see if we can make something happen. If it doesn't work out, fine. I'll have an interception on my stat sheet. It's not going to be the end of the world. But, you know, there are other people that are of the mindset of the pristine statistics, the percentage, and so forth. He couldn't care less about that. So yesterday's game was sort of a microcosm of what Eli's career has been throughout his entire tenure here with the Giants. Yeah, 20 of 28, 283, a couple of touchdowns. The three picks, obviously the blemish. And, look, two of the picks were bad. He didn't see the linebackers kind of dropping back underneath, in, underneath coverage, underneath slant routes, passes he can't throw. He knows that. But the Giants' defense, and I think this is why this was a, a good team win, Lance, an example of the team playing somewhat complimentary football. The defense, even though they gave up plenty of yards, they gave up over 200 yards in the first half, not what you want, but they did enough to keep the Dolphins off the scoreboard. So the Dolphins had a lot of long drives over the course of this game. The Giants didn't force a lot of three and outs. If you take a look at the uh, the drive chart in this game, in the first half, the Dolphins had a drive of 39 yards, 52 yards, 94 yards, 27 yards, and then 22 yards when they had a short field. But the Giants only allowed one touchdown and one field goal in that first half to home the 10 points, despite the fact the Dolphins, as I mentioned, did move up and down the field. The Dolphins had 234 yards in the first half. Oh, it's yeah. a brutal number. It's a bad number, but they played... A, the Dolphins missed a field goal, and the Giants played good red zone defense. And the week before, the Dolphins had the same issue when they kicked a million field goals against the Jets and couldn't get in the end zone. And they kept the score close enough where the Giants' offense could remain balanced. They got the running game going, and both sides of the ball, and throwing the Damari Scott punt return, by the way, and the good punt by Riley Dixon to trap the Dolphins at the one to force a safety eventually. It's a nice team victory with all three facets of the team paying off for the win. Yeah, it was complimentary football. Uh, that's what it was, John. And it's been a term we have utilized on this show, and we've been talking about how it's been lacking during specifically the nine-game losing streak. Yesterday, I thought, was as close to an ideal complimentary football performance by the Giants. Because as you mentioned, the defense gave up some plays. They had some missed tackles, but they didn't give up the back-breaking type of play that we've been seeing week in and week out. They had the Dolphins turn it over on downs, John, with the fourth and one stop, which was huge. They had the safety, which to me was the turning point of the game. You mentioned Miami missed the field goal, 0 for 2 in the red zone, 0 for 8 in the red zone over the last two weeks in MetLife Stadium. And here's the other thing. They held Miami to 3 of 13 on third down. And Miami faced a lot of third and longs. They actually, of their 13 third downs, seven were for nine yards or more. Miami had one conversion on seven of those downs. How many weeks, John, have we talked about the opposition has lengthy third downs, down in distance is favoring the Giants, and then they still found a way to convert because of missed tackles, penalties. Yeah. It was a game in which the Giants defense had two penalties, John. I mean, that was huge, too. Alec Ogletree had a holding. DeAndre Baker had 
defensive pass interference. That was it. This was a clean game, and that to me was refreshing because it was also something that we had not seen over the last few weeks. Yeah, in the second half, the Giants' defense buckled down on third down. They got a lot of pass pressure. The pass rush, the defensive line stepped up. And remember, the Dolphins probably had the worst-performing offensive line in football coming into Without this game. Doubt. But in the first half, Ryan Fitzpatrick sat back there, and he wasn't pressured at all. In the second half, the Giants blitzed a little bit, but also guys like Marcus Golden, the interior pass rushers, they started getting home a little bit on Fitzpatrick and didn't let him just sit back there and and throw the ball down the field, which was certainly helpful. Uh, In the secondary, I thought Julian Love played another nice game. He missed a tackle or two, but it happens. DeAndre Baker gave up the touchdown late to Devontae Parker. He had a couple pass breakups before then. Sam Beal was fortunate that Isaiah Ford did not catch a ball that hit him right in the face. That would have went for a touchdown. But otherwise, I thought he played a solid game. Corey Ballantyne gave him a couple catches, but you know, a lot of young guys back there, and like you said, for the most part, there weren't any of those back-breaking plays that the team could not recover from. Yeah, and then on offense, the offense also played relatively good football in terms of down and distance, John. And see, this is what happens when you run the football. The Giants had their third highest rushing total of the season, 138 yards, but Of the four touchdown drives, I went back and I looked at this, John, in the second half, they faced a total of two third downs. They were so effective on first and second down yesterday as a result of running the football that more often than not, they didn't even face a third down. And that, to me, is something that also was unheard of. The efficiency on the early downs. Saquon Barkley ran the ball 24 times yesterday. He had one run for no gain. No negative yardage plays. They also had just two penalties on offense, one of which was against the offensive line, a Will Hernandez holding call. How many games have we seen a holding call, a false start, too many men on the field, whatever it may be, John, and these procedural penalties are backing the Giants up, and all of a sudden, what seems to be a third and four becomes a third and nine or a third and 12. You know, that was nowhere to be found yesterday, and to me, that was huge. And the Giants passed law on first down. If you looked at the numbers heading into this game, The Dolphins were the worst second-down pass defense in football, and that goes to your point. You know, you run the ball for four yards on first down, five yards on second down. Guess what? You're still going to be in third and one. But the Giants were able to get first downs early in these series, and they didn't have to rely on third and short. Yeah, some of that's the running game, but it's also an efficient passing attack. You mentioned Manning 20 of 28. That's a big part of that where you're completing passes. You're not throwing incomplete passes, which means you're not in second and ten which helps a lot. And, you know, it, it just worked out. And look, you're taking advantage. And look, we talked about this before. When you're a bad team, your first step is to force teams to play to their profile. And the Giants actually, in a lot of ways, made the Dolphins play to their profile, where they had trouble in certain areas heading into the game. Well, they ended up having trouble in those areas in the game against the Giants. They had certain weaknesses. The Giants were able to take advantage of some of those weaknesses, stuff they haven't been able to do before. So for the first time in a while, they saw a team that had weaknesses, and they were able to take advantage of them and win the game by actually exploiting what other teams were poor at. Yeah, it was the Giants' get-right game, John, as opposed to the opposition. Because every week we've been talking about how you know the Giants have favorable matchup, but it's the other team that takes advantage of the Giants. This was a game where, to your point, Miami was 30th or worse in just about every major defensive category and really every major offensive category. And the Giants took advantage of all of those issues. Specifically, Miami gave up 141 rushing yards per game. The Giants had 138. Okay, so, I mean, you basically put Miami in its barometer of average and you were able to uh, take advantage of that. So, you know, that was refreshing also because how many weeks have we talked about, you know, they should be able to take advantage of this area and it's a young secondary and it's a quarterback that doesn't protect the football and it doesn't come to fruition. So that's why I think a lot of people, when they look at this game, they're going to say, well, you know, there's only so much you could take away because it's the caliber of the opposition. That's the rationale behind the win. And I would agree with that take, John. I think you can't overlook that. They did take advantage of a rough Dolphins team, but they were able to do it. They were. They were able to do it. See, that's half the battle because we've been talking about they've been going up against teams that have struggled and they haven't been able to do it. So that's why I wouldn't just sum up this game based on the fact that, oh, it was a bad opponent. Look, before it's been you can, a bad opponent a lot of times. Before you can go out and start beating really good teams, you got to beat the teams that you're quote-unquote supposed to beat. And by the way, that's probably what the Dolphins saw coming in too. They had a better record than the Giants in this game. All right? They're probably, God, we can go in and get another win here. But that's the first step is to beat the bad teams. And you're right. 
there's been a lot of times this year where it hasn't happened. You, they beat the Redskins previously. Well, the Lions and the Cardinals are the fourth and fifth worst teams in the league right now in terms of record. Giants lost to both those teams. So you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat first. And the Giants went out, and they did it. They did a nice job. Uh, before we get to your call, just want to talk about the end of the game because, Lance, you know, we follow all the different sports, and it's rare in the NFL where you're able to have, like, a real goodbye to somebody because a lot of times the flow of the game doesn't allow it. In baseball, it's easy. Eighth inning, ninth inning, you know, you're on defense. You send somebody out. The guy gets subbed out in the outfield or gets taken off the pitcher's mound, and as he slowly walks off the field, the crowd can kind of do their thing. He gets up to bat the last time. The crowd can cheer, and they can do their thing. NBA game, minute to go. You're up big, down big. Game's not in doubt. Call a timeout. Call the guy off the floor. He gets hugs from everybody. The crowd gives him a standing ovation, blah, 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 blah. Easy to do in those types of sports. Doesn't always work that way in the NFL because games are often in doubt late. The other team might have the ball. You might need your quarterback, especially for a quarterback, you might need your quarterback on the field. But it just so happened to work where Eli was able to get pulled out by Alex Tanney after the Giants called a timeout on a first down on their final drive. Uh, after a first down play, I should say. And he got hugs from his teammates. They showed him on the scoreboard. He was nervously smiling. You can <laughs> tell he was very uncomfortable, which is exactly what Eli said to me in the game in the locker room, uh, after the game in the locker room. But it was a good way for the uh, loyal fan base uh, to, who stayed out despite, you know, not great weather. It was really windy. It was cold. And to show Eli their appreciation and for Manning to be able to soak that in especially in the last few years when things haven't gone as well as everyone would have liked. Yeah, and remember, it's also unheard of for you know a quarterback in this day and age to spend 16 years with one franchise, too. Mm-hmm. So you know that, I think, also added to the uniqueness of how the game played out and really the uniqueness of this season. But you know, Eli's going to be the last player, as he echoed when he spoke to you and he spoke to the media at his press conference, that wanted this, that look forward to this, that is going to, you know, really make it about the ending of the game. I mean, even in the postgame press conference, he was asked about, because a lot of the players, John, and, you know, we heard from this on the postgame show, that Eli gave a pep talk to everybody, a pregame chat, and he doesn't usually do that. He's allowed other players to do that. And, you know, I loved Eli's answer after the game. He said, let's not make this bigger than it needs to be. There are no pregame talks that make you go out and win a football game. you got to go out and execute. I hadn't even heard about the yeah. pregame pep talk, to be honest with you. He did. That he gave, you know, an inspirational, you know, trying to rile everybody up. And a lot of the players spoke to how, you know, that resonated with them and so forth. But then when Eli was asked about it, he goes, are we really going to make a story about how the fact that I got the team to play better than they had the previous week? So, you know, that to me is a typical Eli-esque answer where it's not about me. It's not about the spotlight. Go out, do your job. And that's exactly what he did. And I think the team fed off of that by executing. Okay, let's not lose sight. They won the game yesterday because the level of execution was there, which had not been apparent over the last few weeks. I grant, I get that this is a nice story, and I'm not trying to take anything away from it, but I don't want this narrative to be that the team went out and won a game because they were inspired by Eli Manning and the fact that this could have been his last start. No, that's not why they won. Doesn't mean it's not a great story. No, it is a great story, went, right. but what I'm saying is they could be two separate things. Of they don't they have are. to be synonymous with one another. Right, that's course. what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think anyone would say that. Well, you know, then why didn't the team win last week against Philadelphia? When that very well could have been his, of course, his, his yeah. final start. Well, and so. it, it goes back to not to rehash, but you know, earlier in the season when they made the quarterback change, and now people were claiming the defense was going to be inspired because Daniel Jones is now under center, which also I thought was clearly you know proven to be a false narrative given what transpired this year. Yeah, and I will say too, I just thought it was it was kind of cool talking to the guys in the locker room after the game, even the guys that haven't been here that long, and maybe some of them you know, didn't really understand the relationship Eli had with the city and the fans and most Giant fans, and they didn't quite get it. You know, I talked to Marcus Golden. He's only been here. He said, yeah, I remember when Eli was, you know, on TV when I was a kid. I'm sure that made Eli feel great. You know, <laughs> scoring, you know, scoring touchdowns, winning Super Bowls and all that stuff. And, you know, and he got it. But I think a lot of the younger guys probably who don't, you know, remember. I mean, you have guys that are 21 years old. You think they remember no, 2011, eight yeah. years ago, when they were 13 years old, what the hell Eli Manning was doing. They probably had no damn clue what he was doing. And I feel like everyone really got a really cool appreciation for exactly what that, what he's meant to the city and how great the fans can be to you here if you handle yourself the right way. And I think, you know, you look at how Derek Jeter got sent off. 
You look how David Wright got sent off. Two other guys that always handled everything the right way. Mariano Rivera, same deal. Uh, Aaron Judge is another guy like that. Pete Alonzo in just one year seems like a class act type of kid. And, you know, Patrick Ewing, he went away with some controversy, but eventually when he got his number retired, everyone said, oh, boy, we really miss you, Pat. We treated like crap for three years, but now yeah. we miss you. And, you know, I... I hope players take note of that, of how if you embrace this city, they can embrace you back. And if you win and win enough. Well, yeah, that's a key part. They're going. I mean, David Wright never won a World Series. Fans love David Wright. So, well, but the know, team had success correct. compared to previous regimes when he was on the team. Fair. So just if you – this how great this city can be. There are drawbacks with it, with the media coverage, the scrutiny. And look, fans demand excellence. That's what they want. You know, New York is a place where you don't just sit there and you accept Bad play. They don't. That's not the way it works, and that's a bad thing when you're playing poorly. But there's nothing like winning in New York. There's nothing like it. And I think hopefully a lot of these guys saw what it's like here when things are good and when they're right. Well, and I even think the Dolphins players also were observing that because when Ryan Fitzpatrick spoke uh, after the game, you know, he also reflected on the fact that, you know, what the first say? thing he did was, you know, he walked over to Eli after the game and, you know, just wanted to thank him for what he's done for the game because, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's been in the league for a long time too. So unlike Marcus Goldens of the world, Fitzpatrick actually has watched from afar. Plus, Fitzpatrick played in this market. And one of the things he talked about, which I thought was a very telling statement, he can relate to Eli because he understands the pressures that come, to your point, John, in playing in New York. Now, you know, he was with the Jets organization that had its fair share of ups and downs, and Eli certainly can relate to that. But I think when two guys are in the same market and they're veteran quarterbacks, you know, this gave Ryan Fitzpatrick an opportunity. Not that it was about him, and we're not comparing both of their careers, and he made that clear. But he said, you know, you learn to appreciate somebody that can navigate the pressures in the New York market when you yourself went through that. So I, I thought that was a, a nice reflection on his part. Yeah, I, there's a lot else to say, but you also don't want to make this a Eli Manning's retiring thing because, frankly, he made the point to me after the game when I asked, you know, if this was your last starting game at home, and he said, well, let's not jump the, the yeah. gun here. Who knows what's going to happen? So if that does happen, eventually we'll have time to talk about it then and do a career reflection and all that stuff, and it'll be great. Uh, so we don't want to do a whole show on that, but whatever. Obviously, anything you want to call in and talk about, you can. At 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Via, uh, text VIP to 90464 for more details. Let's get to the phones, Pearson, and let's go to Carlos and Astoria, who will lead us off first. Hey, Carlos. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. What's up, bud? Uh Quick question before I make my comment about the game yesterday. When it, if, if this does turn out to be Eli's uh, last season or, or whenever that time may comes, I'm requesting a special BBKL where you guys get Eli in studio, you let the fans call in and kind of show our appreciation to him. I don't know if you can pull that. I don't know if you guys got, got that kind of pull around the organization, but it'd be, I think it would be a great thing for him and the fans. It's something, Carlos, that we, if that happens, it's something we would try to do. Obviously, it would be a time thing with him if he's willing to do it, but it's something certainly we would try to make happen. You guys broadcast from his house if you have to. Uh -huh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I, I guarantee you, he's not letting us <laughs> yeah, in his house, I don't, Carlos. Something tells me that's not happening. Yeah. As for yesterday, um, look, the game was what it was. Two bad teams playing each other. The Giants, you know, had a little bit more oomph on their side yesterday. Now, can we just go ahead and lose these last two here? Because we need that final piece on the defensive line. I'm liking what I see out of the interior guys. We're getting a lot of pressure from them. We just don't have that one dominant edge rusher. And I think the kid from Ohio State really kind of completes our front. Uh, so thanks for the win yesterday, Giants. Thank you, Eli, for everything. So let's go ahead and lose these last two. Have a good day, guys. Thank you, Carlos. Right, Carlos. And obviously the team's not thinking that way. No, the coach isn't thinking that way. I get why fans would. Totally understand. I get it. Um, you know, I get it. Makes sense. I get where you're coming from. But we'll see. I mean, the Redskins played well last week against Philadelphia. Uh, they gave them a game. They had a lead with about 40 seconds to go. 
Carson Wentz threw a game-winning touchdown pass. It ended up being a 10-point game because of a uh, Haskins fumble on Scoop the and score. Redskins' final drive with, like, one second to go. The kid was trying to make a play or whatever. He's actually played pretty well in his last couple of starts, Haskins. So we'll see how that game goes last week. Washington is always a tough place to play. They still have a pretty decent defense. So I'm sure it'll be a close game. We'll see if Daniel Jones is back in there. My feeling is that he's got a decent shot this week coming off the ankle. He practiced late last week. And we'll see if he can go. And I get that fans are sitting there and they're like, we want Chase Young. Yeah. But the Giants are going to try to win the game. And if they win the game, they win the game. And if you're picking fourth or fifth, number one, important for us, it'll be a lot more interesting to talk about that content for three months leading up to the draft rather than just taking Chase Young calls every single day about picking him second. Um, and there's really no guarantee where you're going to pick because I, you know, right now they're tied. The strength of schedule with the, the Giants own the strength of schedule tiebreaker with the Redskins and the Dolphins. I don't know, based on how those numbers calculate for two weeks, if that can switch based on teams winning or losing in the last couple of weeks. Because they're only off by about, I think, three-tenths of a three. Well, you know, then it could definitely change so. if that's the case. I didn't look how close yeah, it was. I, but. Think, I think the—I can actually bring it up right here real quick. But uh, right now, the, the for teams that—for people that don't know, the three teams each have only three wins. So they are basically all tied— in second place in terms of the draft pick standings. Um, and if you take a look at the tiebreaker, which is not head-to-head or a conference record or common opponents, they look at strength of schedule. So the team with a worse strength of schedule and has the worst record will get the best pick because they had the worst record against the worst schedule, right? So right now, the Giants' strength of schedule, which is basically the winning percentage of the teams they play, and this is including their Week 16 and 17 opponents, is 47 Point three or 0.473. Yeah. The Dolphins and Redskins are 0.493. So it's literally 2% different win rate on opponents' records. So they might all finish with only three wins if a bunch of teams that the Redskins play happen to lose and a bunch of teams the Giants played happen to win, that strength of schedule can shift. Now, they'll probably keep that tiebreaker with Washington because they have very similar schedules, obviously. Yeah. There's only two teams that are different in terms of who they've played based on their schedule, which would be the team from the NFC West and the team from the NFC South. So um, that's the only difference there. So that tiebreaker probably won't change if odds are, but the Dolphins, all bets are off. If all, a bunch of AFC East teams lose the next few weeks and their strength of schedule drops, a bunch of NFC East teams win, then Anything can happen. So just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, listen, I always say it's not where you pick. It's what you do with the pick. I understand that, you know, if you don't get number two, then the chance of getting Chase Young dissipate. I get that. But, you know, free agency allows you to get after a pass rush or two, and you can also trade for one. So there's other ways to improve in that area that the last caller was alluding to. And the other thing is we just don't know how, you know, the rest of the season is going to play out in terms of the Giants' opponents because, you know, right now the Eagles are going to play the Cowboys in week 16, if Dallas wins that game, Philly's season is over. They have nothing to play for in the final week. Now, that doesn't mean that Doug Peterson's not going to play his guys, but, you know, you just wonder what the mindset of that team, John, is going to be like, as opposed to if they know going into the final week, they still have something to play for with respect to the division. And, by the way, the Giants led the Eagles 17-3 at halftime in Philly on Monday night, and... Literally, like, all their skill position guys are hurt at wide receiver. So, yeah, and they may shut down some of those guys if right. they have nothing to play for because, you know, you're going to think about next season, the offseason, and rehab. So that, that's, I think, something that you can't just dismiss and overlook right there. 100%. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. Let's go to Dan in the Poconos. He's up next. Hey, Dan. Fellas, how you doing? What's up? What's happening, Dan? Well, I'll tell you, man. I was at the game last night. My wife and uh, yesterday, rather. My wife and I were at the game, and, man, it was just so awesome. Haven't felt that good at a Giants game in a long time. And I tell you, when at the end, John, you, you touched on it at the end when, uh, you know, they kind of forced him almost to stand there by himself, you know, and get his pick. <laughs> you know, he was up on the screen. And, God, did he look awkward. He looked getting emotional. But the whole place was like that. I mean, I looked over at my wife, and she was actually – Bawling. She she loves Eli so much. She was actually crying her eyes out. And I'm like, oh, hon. And I gave her a hug, you know, and I'm like, but I tell you, it was just such a special, special day for us diehard Giant fans. And um, I'll tell you, the one thing, I'll always hold it against Schumer. 
I, you know, it's my opinion that he just should have just pulled the plug too early on Eli. Should we got cheated out of our last year with Eli, you know, and, and he got cheated and. And for what? You know, Daniel could have just I – know, I know he's beneficial for having played all that games, and it's going to help us, and we have to understand that and get that through my thick head. But, <laughs> you know, it's just that that guy, like you said, he just, he meant so, he just means so much to us, and, uh, and we're so defensive with anybody bad not see, like, forget it. That's like talking about my mother, you know? I'm like, what'd you say? You know? Like, so anyway, not too much to add, but, you know, just to touch on the – on what you guys said. It was just a great day, I'll tell you. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. And I got to tell you, I, 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 I look back at Lance in the back of the booth, and, and he was darn close to being teary-eyed, yeah, too. Yeah, there wasn't enough tissues in the booth. Correct. That's a very accurate assessment as you chuckle along to the right of Speaking me. Speaking of yes. tears, Charlie in Portland, Maine is up <laughs> yes, next. Hey, Charlie. That, that may bring tears to my eyes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Hey, guys. Hi, Charlie. What a what a beautiful day, huh? Well, for yeah. you, I mean, you must have been on cloud nine yesterday. And Charlie, <laughs> on, the, on the call screener here, it says you have a bone to pick with Lance, which is why I went oh, to you so yeah. early. <laughs> yeah. Lance, well, you were saying, I just couldn't believe it, what you were saying. You were saying basically that, oh, they didn't play for Eli, has got nothing to do with it. Hey, look, the players even said. Okay. Let's, 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 let's you know, yeah, and, and I'm sure that I'm sure that there was a factor. I heard I heard what Sterling Shepard and Saquon Barkley said after the game. I know they said that they looked at each other after the first series and said, "Hey, you know, let's try to win it for Eli." But we live in a reality world. We don't. Li- this is not Superman. This is not Batman. Okay, we're not running through the Marvel universe comics here, Charlie. Okay, they don't have superpowers just because Eli could have very well played his final home start. They're still human beings, and they have to go out and execute. And they executed yesterday. Period. Don't you think? Emotion has a lot to do with playing football or I, I think personally, and th- this is my personal opinion, I think that's a nice media-driven narrative that gets all people sentimental so we could have an opportunity to reflect and you could get all emotional and, you know, so you get the box of tissues out. Why do people out. even go to stadiums? Well, I because mean, everybody's fans. They're passionate. But passion and emotion and is separate from execution. And in, in their game, too. When there's a when there's a crowd out there cheering for them. Yeah, I'm sure that provides motivation. But... Charlie, you still need to go out and make the tackle. You still need to go out and yeah. follow your block. So you have to channel that into an effective use and go out and execute. That's my that's point. Right. So and I can I can did. give you they, they yeah they played that game. That's right. They Eli, executed. They play that game for Eli, and even Eli gave a speech, which he never does at the start of it. And they all knew this was probably going to be his last game, or close to it. And they went out and played for him. So. They play for each other, but they played for him that game. So, so they, so, so let me ask you this, Charlie. Before every single right. game, before every single game during the nine-game losing streak, the guys didn't have emotion, motivation to win. They didn't go out there and try to play for one another. Is that what you're telling me? Well, I'm telling you, emotion and and has a lot to do with this game. And when they feel something for somebody, and they feel like, hey, this might be the last time for this guy, and he's been a great. Uh, you know, he's been a great player, great teammate. He's done everything that he needed to do, and he's generous with his time. Yeah, you're going to go out there and you're going to play harder. And that's what they did. And, I'm, I, I, you know, they weren't playing like San Francisco. I, You know, I understand that. They were playing the Dolphins. They should have beat them anyway. But the thing is, you can't say, Lance, that had nothing to do with why the players played the way they did. Well, I can because that's harder. Charlie, that's my – Charlie. I have every right to say it because it's my personal opinion. And you have a right to disagree with me. And you can't say anything to prove that I'm wrong because you don't have any evidence that these superhuman powers of strength channeled into the team and helped them win the game. So, I mean, the bottom line is we can agree to disagree. We can leave it at that. And you and I have a different viewpoint in terms of emotion and how that feeds into wins. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. See, we don't have to have a right or wrong discussion. You have your opinion. I have my opinion. We go about our business and have a happy life. <laughs> I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Happy life, Lance, well, I, I, but I hope you do. <laughs> well, happy's a stretch. I'm just saying. I think. I'm just well, saying. That's just me. It, it's a differential of opinion. That's it. I know. It's as simple no, as I that. I understand. But you're into basketball. You're into um, Michael Jordan. Don't you think at times I knew this that was there was up. emotion involved there, in that the guys played for him harder? Or no, he I think he. Them all I think he is just the greatest basketball player that ever lived, and he just has a better skill set than just about everybody else that played. Charlie, I, I think it's as simple as that. I, I, I don't think that Scottie Pippen walked over to him to tell him. 
you really need to steal the ball from Carl Malone and do your thing. I, I think Jordan had enough motivation to win his sixth title in six opportunities, Charlie. Well, and he, I think that's how it played out. He wouldn't won any title. He needed other players around him, and you well, know you that. could say that he about everybody, that. Charlie. You could say that about everybody. Thank Last you. time I checked, LeBron needed help too. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate the call, buddy. Yes. I'm glad we settled those affairs. Now, Lance does get emotional every time he see those Jordan highlights pop up on Twitter. Yes, that, that's a necessity for tissues and, and all of that good stuff. Yes, uh, that, that's a tearjerker. How familiar Absolutely. are you with The Wizard of Oz? Have you watched the movie? I haven't watched it recently. I'm very familiar with the movie you, and the witches and the lion. And I could make a lollipop guild joke here, but I won't. Well, we could. But I mean, instead, I'm, you're, you're kind of the tin man. How am I the Tin Man? Because you don't have a heart. No, I do have a heart. I play, <laughs> listen, I played sports. I understand what emotion is. But I, I was always motivated to go out and play. You're See, not as tough as the Tin Man. That's the, true. The, the, these peripheral storylines just don't tug at my heart. That, that's where I'm different from other people. I don't think if you're a professional athlete, I would cherish every game. Because especially in football, tomorrow's not guaranteed. So the reason I disagree with Charlie is there's young guys that went out there every single game and – they were sacrificing everything to go on and win. It just didn't work out. I, I don't think it took Eli's perhaps final home game to get everything to click. I, I, that's not what I believe, and, and that's fine. And I'm not telling everybody to adopt my opinion. That's just where I stand. I don't think it has anything to do with me lacking heart. You've played basketball with me. Don't test me when it comes no, no. to the heart department. Playing with heart is different than having a heart. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> Wait, so I can have a heart when I play, but outside of playing? I, I, I take no, the but, heart no, and but I drop it out. The way you're using heart is, is to have effort and to try hard. Yeah. I'm using heart in terms of emotions and being emotional about something and deeply caring about something. I think you're kind of empty inside. No, I, I, don't th I wouldn't say I'm empty. I, I just <laughs> the don't only thing that fills your I, heart is Michael Jordan. No, 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 no. No, no. All I'm saying is, is that I don't get all sentimental when you, it comes to professional sports. No, when it comes to professional sports. When it comes to other areas of life, I think that there's a time and a place for that. <laughs> Professional sports is not necessarily. Well, I'm glad you're getting a kick out of this. Totally we could have another episode with my life oh, philosophy if you'd like. Oh. I'm more than happy to discuss. There's a time and a place. There's a time and a place. And it's not here. Yeah. Okay, well, and certainly not here with no. Charlie, I'll tell you that. <laughs> if you think that I'm going to pour out my soul for him, then the listeners and the viewers uh, have not been watching and paying attention long uh, enough. Let's go to Steve in South Carolina. He's up next. Hey, Steve. Hey. Uh, Lance, I, I played sports, I swam, and competitively with it, and emotion can take over at certain times. That's all. I think Charlie is actually, this is one of the few times I'm really agreeing with Charlie on this one. Well, he but, needs all uh, the help he can get with agreement, so more power to you, Steve. Okay. okay. <laughs> but anyhow, what I'm calling about is, uh, actually it was Carlos was the first call on it. Um, Chase Young, I agree, but Let's also be realistic. How many times have we heard that these are the greatest players are ever going to be coming out? We've never had any better, and this is what we have to get. I think he's really good, and that's no doubt about it. He'll be an excellent player. He may not be a great player, and we don't know that from that standpoint. I mean, I mean, Steve, and, Steve, Steve, real quick, think of it this way. Everyone thought Jadavian Clowney was one of the best raw pass-rushing prospects that have ever come out, and he's had a nice career, but he hasn't been a perennial all-pro by any means. So I... I I think to your point, you're right. Yeah. And actually with Clowney, I, I knew he was not going to be that way. I saw him down here all during that time. And then you can go Kandichi out at, at, uh, in, in Mississippi was another one that was supposed to be he there. Went to the Cardinals. Anyhow, yeah. The, yeah. The guy I really think that, that honestly would be the best one and I'm looking at is Isaiah Simmons here at Clemson. The, the linebacker guy is incredible. Yeah. He will fit our linebacker. He can be our first uh, first linebacker drafted in the first round since Carl Banks. So we can get rid of that one on there. That would be yeah. that's that would check off one of Lance's you know, ones. Yeah, that that, that might actually make Lance emotional. That he can't say, <laughs> can't say no drafted a linebacker in the first round. That actually might get to you. Well, a little and, bit. and here's the other thing: if the Cowboys win the NFC East, I won't be able to say that. There hasn't been anyone to win back-to-back -back NFC East titles. So just be aware. We, we may have to put that yeah, one to rest, too. The box are checking off here. They, they may be checking off. That, that's right. The, the volume of substance may be disappearing in front of my very own eyes. I'm going to have to find other <laughs> long, lengthy droughts to look up. And, and then, yeah. God forbid, there isn't a, a game of musical chairs on the offensive line. Well, then you're going to have nothing to say that, for the whole true. show. Yeah. Well, there'll be other yeah, teams what, I could use that yeah, for, really even if the Giants I, I settle things. <laughs> 
Yeah, Simmons is my first choice. Honestly, I, I like him better than anyone else. I've seen him play for, for three years. This guy is fantastic. Um, he will blow people's minds away. So so when you guys really start looking at tape again, look at Simmons. I think you're going to be very impressed. I look forward that to beyond it. Beyond that, yeah. we also look at, I mean, basically, we got very, very good offensive tackles this year. So this is a good year for tackles. Yeah. So I think we're in good position to fill a key position that we need. And I'm not. I would rather see two more wins than worry about whether we get Chase Young. Hey, look, bottom line, right now it's, it's literally impossible for the Giants to not pick more or less in the top five from what I can right. tell. So yep. maybe top six is a chance Arizona passes them because they're only four, nine, and one. But the bottom line is the Giants are going to have a chance to draft a really good player no matter where they draft in that top six. So I'm not going to yep. sweat the prospects yet. There's still so much to go, including actual college football games, not to mention the draft process. So we'll figure it out along the way, which is part of the fun. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. Bye. Good stuff. Yep. 201-939-4513. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He's up next. Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Doing well, Scott. Yeah, what's yeah. up? Um, as far as the original call, I think, Carlos, uh, no player in the NFL should be tanking any games. And they if don't. If you do, you don't belong in the NFL. I agree. And I hope that's not the pervasive attitude of anybody. I don't think it is. Uh, also, as far as uh, getting Chase Young or, or somebody similar, one player is not going to make that much of a difference. If you look at, like, Khalil Mack or, or even Aaron Donald. Yeah, Von Miller, the, same deal. The, yeah, a, n- a number of them. None of the hard... I don't know if any of these teams are going to the playoffs. It takes 22 guys to win a football game. And so although one player makes a difference or can make a difference, I think uh, there's a lot that the Giants need. So if they get Chase Young, great. But I think there's other avenues yeah, that they Scott, have to address the only, as well. The only time one player can make a gigantic difference is quarterback, really. Or if you have a great team already and you have one really big yeah, weak the point and then you fix that. Yeah, but when you're in a rebuilding situation – like, to your point, you're absolutely right. Yeah, a guy like or a really good pass rusher, whoever it might be, Chase Young, whomever, will it help? Certainly. But if you have a great edge rusher, but you still can't cover everybody in the back end, guess what? Correct. It's not going to matter. Right. Uh, my main point, well, I have two points, one off-topic and one on-topic. The one on-topic that I wanted to discuss, if the Giants should win out, I remember what happened last year. There was all this enthusiasm about, oh, we have a great uh, you know, we're vaulting towards the future, etc. Is giant is the Giants uh, management if they do win out? Are they still do you think going to make the changes they think are necessary for the following season, or are they going to caught in the the hype of winning the last two games, etc. If that should materialize, and I was just curious what your opinion was on that. Yeah, look, I, I, Scott, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what ownership's thinking. I don't know what they're thinking now. I don't know what they're going to think at the end of the year. Will what happens in the last two games impact right. them? I mean, I think it has to to a certain extent. It's something that you see. Will I, I mean, would I be surprised if they've come to conclusions, whatever those conclusions might be, over the course of 13 or 14 games? Are they going to completely change their mind off of two games at the end of the year against teams that could theoretically be out of the playoff hunt? I don't think that's going to happen. Because we've all seen this type of thing play out before. You don't want to react too strongly to a small sample size when you have a huge sample size that already showed you a whole lot. But look, it'll impact it. But again, I don't think you're going to have sea changes of opinion that you formed over 13, 14 games and they'll just change because of two games at the end of the year. I, I just don't think that's a smart way to manage. I don't think that's the way John Marin and Steve Tisch manage. Yeah, I, I would say that for or any Dave organization for too. Matter. Yeah, I think that you'd be doing a disservice if you're just looking at you know a small sample size. I think you take right. the whole season into consideration, Scott. The other thing is, I think if you're focusing in on these four games, and let's say the Giants finish on a winning streak or whatever it may be, I think your bigger takeaway as an organization, once again, this is my personal opinion, this is not coming from having specific conversations, is individuals and assessing individual players and whether or not they could build off what they did and carry it into next season. For example, I think you look at Nick Gates. If Nick Gates continues, John, to get more opportunities on the offensive line. He played a really nice game. He he played a really good game. You've now seen him at right tackle when he filled in for Remmers against the Jets. You've seen him at right guard. You 
continue to see, okay, is this a developmental piece that we could bring back? Can he have a legitimate shot to start next season? Whatever it may be. I think you have a conversation about that. Even a guy like DeAndre Baker, who was a first-round pick, and he's played two pretty darn good games in a row. He gave a touchdown late yesterday, but for the most part, he played pretty darn good coverage. Sam Beal, does he show you something the last few games? Julian Love. Julian Love keep playing. Well, Corey Ballantyne in the slot. Uh, For guys that are going to be free agents, maybe something Leonard Williams shows you might impact your thinking with him. Dexter Lawrence. So I'm with Lance, and I was going to say the same as I think he makes a great point. You look at individuals, and then you make your judgments off those individuals. Like, for example, this game against the Dolphins, the defense, if you look at the overall numbers and how they played in the first half, they didn't play overall great. They gave up plenty of yards, but they made plays when they had to. So that shouldn't give you a completely different opinion on the defense because, again, in these small sample sizes— Things happen. That's why nine-game losing streaks aren't common in the NFL because eventually things go right. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard to do that. And you happen to win some games here or there, which is why you can't let the small sample size really change your mind. Right. Okay, my last question. I'll take it off the end. It's actually not related to the Giants. Uh, New England has sort of put a stain on the NFL, I think, with the latest behavior. There's been a lot of talk this morning already about the NFL investigating, and cheating obviously is a very big issue in the NFL. I was just curious if either of you had an opinion based on what you know about the situation and what the NFL might do about it. And thanks, guys. I appreciate it. What I know about video production, and I produce videos here. I'm I'm a video producer in some way, shape, or form. Um, I understand if I... There's a reason to shoot sideline for B-roll. Like, if you're literally... Trying to, if you're doing a video piece on a scout and you want to show what the scout's looking at from the press box, you shoot the opposing sideline because that's what the scout's looking at in the press box. Now, everything that goes on beyond that and who's getting the footage and whatever, we can only go by what's been said by the NFL, the Bengals, and the Patriots. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's not true. Obviously, if the league finds in the investigation that this was a way to film signals, they will take appropriate action, and they should take appropriate action. They'll get penalized for it. But the league will talk to enough people, and they're very thorough with these things, as we saw from Deflategate and all that stuff. So they'll figure it out. I I don't think Lance and I have enough information to render any sort of judgment at this time. Yeah, I did see the video uh, that Fox aired. Um, I think that, you know, everybody's going to have varying opinions, John, on that based on the conversation that went on with Bengals security and the photog. I will say this, as part of an active scout who was there to obviously scout the Bengals, John, because they were getting ready to play them this weekend, part of active scouting is to look at the sideline, to your point. Which is completely That's a huge legal, component the and of it's it. legal. Yeah, you have every right to do that. It's then where NFL rules state you can take notes, you can observe the sideline, you can write down whatever you want, and then share that with your team. You just can't film it. I mean, that's where the NFL rules come into play. And that really is what the debate is. But I think what gets misinterpreted is, let's make this clear. An active scout has every right to be at a game the previous week or weeks before and take notes of all of the things going on the opposing sideline. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that that excuses whatever may have happened or may have not happened. Or the Patriots scout was even doing that. Correct. Who knows? We don't know because whatever that video exchange was, that had nothing to do with the scout. And it that happened was a photog and a Bengal security member. It wasn't next to the scout. So no, no. no. Was, this the, was when security correct. took them into mm-hmm. a room or whatever it may be, and they reviewed things. My personal opinion, not to get completely off topic, I think some of the previous incidents with the Patriots, specifically Deflategate, was blown completely out of proportion. That, once again, is my personal opinion. So I think all of these situations, John, should be held on their own. Now, I know it's hard to do that because of the track record of a team, but I think the NFL, when it goes on its investigation, you can't make assumptions that certain people are involved in these things and orders came from up top. I think you got to handle them on an individual basis, and based on your findings, then you appropriate come out with whatever discipline you've deemed necessary under those circumstances. Yeah, and look, if and just from a logical standpoint, I know people are like, well, why'd the guy want to delete it if, 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 if he wasn't doing something wrong? You don't think this guy's afraid he's going to get fired? Oh, of course. I can I mean, only imagine. Of course, he, he just he just tried to get out of there with his job. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And frankly, if they were trying to do something underhanded, they wouldn't have had the camera hooked up to a monitor, which was showing the entire press box what they were filming. Yeah. That's pretty sloppy if, if you try to do something that underhanded. Is, that's not good planning. Yeah. No, it is not good yeah. planning. So look, again, we have no idea. We're just, you know, based on the stories that we've seen, the videos that we've seen, whatever. Yeah. The NFL will do their investigation 
and they'll take the appropriate action. If they, just, if they did something wrong and they broke rules, they should pay the price for that. No question about it. 201-939-4513. Len in Columbia, Maryland. I know Len had a couple tears in his eyes in that fourth quarter. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. Um, I don't save many ticket stubs, but I'm going to save that one. Uh, that was that was pretty special. Pretty special. Happy for Eli, obviously. Happy for a win. Oh, my God, we got rid of that hideous nine-game losing streak. Yep. Jeez. And uh, I don't care who we beat. Uh, food tasted better last night than after a loss. Yep, absolutely. And, and uh, How about so, the traffic you know, going home, Len? Was the traffic better? You know how I even feel about preseason games. I want to win the preseason games. I want to win everything. I feel better when we win. <laughs> and um, just just a great day for Eli. And um, fans were terrific. And um, he, he played as well as he could play. And... Um, I mean, you know, I got the, I got my car packed. I'll see him in Canton in five years. Uh, I mean, that's 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 just an easy one, just an easy one. Um, you know, um, let me ask you a question. You know, Love is playing well, no question. Yeah, he is. Um, when Peppers, you know, going into next year, I know Love was playing obviously for a reason, playing strong safety. Uh, because, you know, Bethay has to play free safety more than anything else, and we had to have four defensive backs on the field at least. Um, what, what happens next year? Pepper's strong safety, Love goes to free safety? Is that what you what just That would be my bet. Yeah, I, I think so, Len, but I think also with those two guys' skill sets, I think you can be a little interchangeable then, which is nice, where you don't have the guys necessarily yeah, okay. with defined roles, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, yeah, Len, I, I one, yeah, of, one yeah. of the things that Spag said when he was here as defensive coordinator, the days of strong safety, free safety, and those roles defining the player have sort of passed football because of, to John's point, how there's a lot of interchangeable players. There are a lot of situations where you have an extra defensive back, an extra safety on the field. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it's about taking advantage of the skill set of those two guys and utilize them to how they can complement one another. And Love is still young, and Love also has experience playing corner. So it's not as if you can't move him around because of what he did in college. Yeah, and what what I really like about Love Led, and this is what I kind of talked about him when we when we did the draft show and we led up to the draft and we talked about him as a player. He is, and, and Pat Shermer said this in his, one of his media availabilities last week. I don't remember which one. He's just a really good instinctual football player. He, he can figure out where the ball's going. For the most part, he's missed some, but he's a pretty good tackler. He has good instincts. He's yeah. smart. He knows where to go. Yeah. And I think that's a real good set of skills to have if you're going to play safety yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. You know, there, I, there, uh, that's, that's a good point about his tackling. And the one thing I, I felt about all f- you know, four of the young kids um, – they, they, they want to tackle. I, I get the feeling they they want to be involved. They better. Uh, you know, there's a lot of defensive backs. Um, that t- tackling's not in the job description. You know, they're supposed to knock the ball away. They're supposed to intercept passes. Um, but I, I get the feeling these guys like sticking their nose in there, and they're pretty. You know, they're pretty good at it too. DeAndre Baker's gotten a lot of better at it from the beginning of the year. That's for sure. Well, yeah, and, and here's yeah, what's yeah. also encouraging, Len, about your point. Julian Love was involved in the play with Dalvin Tomlinson to stop Patrick Laird for a third, a three-yard loss on the fourth and one when the Dolphins turned it over on downs, and Sam Beal, and Sam Beal mm-hmm. was involved in the safety. So you got two yeah. young guys that got penetration in the backfield, to your point, embracing tackling and making And by stop. the way, it was B.J. Hill yeah. that forced him outside yeah. on that safety with the, inter- yeah. with the inside penetration, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Beal, Beal made a heck of a play you know, on that safety, particularly... Um, if, if you think about the situation, I, I just I, I can't I can't believe the Dolphins were trying to run outside there. No, no, they weren't though. No, no, yeah. no, they weren't. No, Len, they got the ball five yards deep no, in the end zone. Len, they were I mean, trying they were trying to run it inside, but B.J. Hill beat his guy and he forced Laird to bounce it. So the only reason yeah. they went outside is because Hill would have had the safety on an inside tackle if he didn't try to bounce it yeah, outside. He had no choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, um, I want to I want to say something about Jenkins, but I want to ask you one other question uh-huh. first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult situation. Uh, you know, if we're able to draft young, or even if we draft young, um, you know, can we can we then afford um, to sign both Golden and Williams? 
What, what do you think? I mean, they have enough money to do it. It's just a mad, yeah, matter yeah, of yeah, yeah. it's just a matter well, of how they want to. I mean, we have other needs. Well, I mean, the good thing though, Len, and look, we'll see if they're good enough players. You have so many young guys in the secondary that you're not paying anybody any money back there. So it will allow you a little bit more freedom to spend money up front if you want. But okay. you're right in that that you know you got a lot of those guys on rookie contracts though. I mean, you're not really paying a lot of people a lot of money on the front either. So I mean, if you're paying three guys in your front seven, yeah. you know, the question yeah. is too if there's some kind of movement in terms of what you're doing defensively from a scheme perspective, does yes. Golden and Williams fit that? I think Chase Young, you can plug in anywhere. Go you know, go yeah. get the quarterback, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I, yeah. frankly, I think Golden can be a situational pass rusher on pretty much yeah. any team also. But yeah. I no, think... He's played... Correct. I mean, he's played very well. Yeah. I'd like to... You know, I'm I'm hoping somehow we can get the guy back on the team. I, I think he can give us two or three years here of some you know really really good work. I like what he did. Hey, let me let me go back to that Spagnola thing. I know I want to yeah. say something about Jenkins, but the Spagnola thing. Len, real know, fast, man. That, that, you, you his theory about being able to play both positions and moving them around and so forth. It, you know, it only works when you got guys who can play both positions. Of course, yeah. of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. What's your uh, point on Jenkins? Listen, I'm sorry. I, I yep. you know I, I just. I wanted. I want to say something about Jenkins. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry it ended that way. I mean, I mean the guy. I mean, that's not defending what he said or blaming the Giants or whatever. I'm. I'm just sorry. I mean, he, he's he's a. Geez, he's the best defensive back we've had in 30 years, guys. I mean, and just to see it end that way with us, I I, I really really hated to see that. He'll find work. I mean, I don't and, think he's a better player um, than I think Jason Seahorn, man. Somewhere else, and that, and that's okay. I mean, I understand where. You know, I understand where the where the Giants were coming from, but I'm just I was just unfortunate that it, you know, from the standpoint with us that it that it had to end that way. Right. Well, look, let's um, you know stay positive, win a couple of football games here. You know, we got two division games coming up; those are always big. You know, we got to break this one in five string in the division that we've got running. Yeah. And if we can win one of these two games, maybe we can, you know, maybe we can do that and start building for next year and so forth. And, thank you, Len. Uh, yeah, Len. and again, uh, and again, thank God for Eli Manning. <laughs> All right, Len. Appreciate the call. I mean, I'm not sure I would say Jenkins was a better defensive back than Jason Seahorn, or a better defensive back than maybe even Antro Roll when he was here as a safety. But yeah, I don't he know was, if he, I, he I would player. go. No, Jenkins is a solid player. I don't know if I would make the bold statement that, you know, he was the best in 30 years. I mean, that is a long time, and the Giants have won Super Bowls within that time frame, multiple Super Bowls. So, you know, it's not as if they haven't had good defensive backs. Uh, As far as the secondary moving forward, and you were tapping into this, John, when you look at the secondary next year, I mean, everybody's going to be on a rookie contract. Oh, think of it this way. Jabril Peppers is on a rookie contract still. After this year, look at the whole defense. You're not paying anybody. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as flexibility is concerned, yeah, if they want to invest in two defensive linemen who are vets, I don't really think they're going to be, you know, overthinking that because Julian Love, Corey Ballantyne, Sam Beal, DeAndre Baker, all on rookie deals, and Peppers. Let's not forget, Peppers was acquired when he still was on a rookie deal. And then up so Tomlinson, Hill, yeah. Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence, yeah. Rookie contracts, all of them. Lorenzo Carter, rookie contract. So you have Ogletree. And really, that's it. <laughs> then you have two free agents yeah. and Leonard Williams and Marcus Golden, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, you can afford to invest in a few players, whether they be currently on the team or, you know, in free agency. Now, again, just because you have the money doesn't mean you no, should spend uh, 100%. it on whatever. You have to yeah. spend it wisely, and we'll see what they decide to do. But, yeah, I mean, look, right now, all their money's look, the long, look, look where all the long-term contracts are, folks. I mean, you know, Golden Tate on offense, Sterling Shepard on offense, Kevin Zeitler on offense, Nate Solder on offense. Just go down the list. It's all guys on offense. It's not guys on defense right now. You know, Jenkins was the last guy from that free yeah. agent class. So. With uh, Vernon and Snacks, yeah. yeah. Joe in Pennsylvania, he's up next. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. Uh, Anthony, I you're next, by the way. Thank- I have to say thank you, Eli, too, very much there. He played with emotion, uh, uh, and it came through there, uh, Lance, in the big games. I I have to disagree with you there. Emotion means a lot. You know, the 12th man, halftime speeches, you know, even in the stadiums and that, it can upset the other players and that. You know, that's all emotion. Well, Joe, and once again, you're entitled to your opinion, but during the nine-game losing streak, are you claiming then there were no pregame speeches to the players, there was nothing motivational, there were no factors in the stadium? 
I'm just saying that emotion means a lot. You can see people live on by emotion and, and desire and stuff like that. I could get red in the face and temper. You pissed me off and look out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a big thing, and I know what it is to play with it. Seriously, you know, you play with emotion. You ever get mad? It's a big thing, and uh, just on my lunch. Well, but, well, you have to channel. You have to channel emotion, though. See, that's the other thing. You could well, get right well, in the well, face well, if you can't control it, it and channel it. It may actually come back to bite you. I I don't want to argue with you, but I know I'm not arguing. We're just having a conversation. Emotion, to live by emotion, you know. People went on saying for for you know days trapped in there, everything. It was desire and emotion that kept me on the different willpower. That's yeah. all emotion, and uh, it's the same thing playing sports. I, believe me. Uh, what I'm going to say too with drafts, yeah, I think we're we're in a great position. Whoever we get, you know, wherever we're at, it, the trade up, trade down, who we get in free agency, and, uh, uh, you know, we'll put it together. And I, I think next week, year, we should start putting, you know, putting it together and getting wins that we're we're going to be in great position. So uh, that's all I have to say. Thank great. you. Great. No, thank you, Joe. Hi, Joe. Always good to hear from you, pal. Anthony in Austin, Texas. He'll be our final caller of the show. Hey, Austin. Hey, Anthony. Hey, how's it going, guys? What's up, man? You're right. Happy Monday. Um, days like yesterday really put, like, big-picture things into perspective. You know, I agree with your point earlier, Lance, about how, like, emotion doesn't all of a sudden drive you to win and all that stuff. you got to go out there and execute and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, all this – talking about Eli lately, you know, so many stats have been thrown out there the last, you know, year, couple of years, trying to either prove his, you know, Hall of Fame candidacy or disprove that he's just a – you know, an overrated quarterback who got lucky twice, which I do not agree with the latter. Uh, but, you know, yesterday he got his 117th win, which ties Joe Montana for career regular season career wins. Uh, and no one's really talking about that. Now, I know he's nothing, not even remotely close to Joe Montana. I'm not implying something foolish like that. But I just think that, you know, does does that, you know, help help out the narrative? I mean, I know, you know, his 500 regular season record, you know, people like to harp on that. But that's more of a function of him playing so long uh, because, you know, he's got 117 wins, 117 losses, but that means he's played longer than guys like Montana or whatever that just did a lot more in a shorter period of time. Um, but, you know, I just, think that, too. I just think that, you know, what he's been, what Eli's been able to do otherwise, you know, I mean, it, it's just that really seals his, his fate. I mean, obviously his legacy is written. You know, he's the guy that beat Belichick's Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. There's really nothing else he can accomplish that will change how history looks at him, whether he plays, you know, zero more NFL snaps or five more seasons in the NFL. I mean, nothing's going to really change. Yeah, and look, and that's so, the thing. Uh, like, when, wondering, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, when you look at Eli, he was never going to be the guy that you vote for for the Hall of Fame or make an argument for him by using raw numbers. It's just not his deal. That's not what it is. You look at his regular season career, and there are things that are easy to criticize, and and and, and you brought up some of them, and. I get that, and but I think what transcends the Eli argument are other things. It's playing well in big spots. It's never getting hurt. I think that durability part of it is a huge thing. You lose entire seasons yep. for your franchise if your starting quarterback gets hurt. Go ask the Steelers with Roethlisberger. Go ask the Chargers with Phillip Rivers. Go ask the, Bra the Patriots when they lost Tom Brady one year. And go down to go ask the Cowboys when they lost Tony Romo a bunch of years. Go down the list. So that durability is a big part of it. And then the playoff success is a big part of it, too. Even in 2016, when they lost to the Packers, Eli was on fire in that game. If his receivers yeah, would have caught some passes was. in the first yeah. half, they would have been up three scores and probably would have won the game. You know, you go back, I think he only had one interception in the 2007 and 2011 uh, playoff runs combined. In eight games, one interception. Yep. So, you know, there are things that transcend the raw numbers. And I know we deal with numbers a lot on the yep. show, and they are important because it's a big sample yep. size and it shows you who somebody truly is. But in the end, you're not evaluating somebody based on deep down physically what type of quarterback they are. When I'm voting for somebody either for an All-Star game yep. or Hall of Fame or MVP, I'm voting them based on results. And sometimes guys' results transcend their individual statistical achievements. And I think Manning is the prime case of that, where his individual raw numbers do not measure up 
to the overall results. And those overall results, in the end, should they overcome everything where the regular season doesn't matter at all if a guy puts together eight good games? No, it absolutely shouldn't. But I think Eli was good enough in the regular season. Combine that with his unbelievable exploits in the postseason and his excess in big games and, like you said, beating undefeated Patriots team puts him into that Hall of Fame quarterback category. And I think that's how you have to look at it. And the people that just count the numbers are never going to get there because they're not seeing the forest from the trees. And I just hate the QB win-loss that period. Oh, it's, I think it's, it sucks. Yeah. Why do you have the other 52 guys in the field? Then? Yep, 100%. You know, I mean, I, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of it, but you know, you think last year Eli was like 116 and 111 going into that Colts game and led for 59 minutes, and if it weren't for some horrific play down the stretch defensively, he would have gotten win 117 that day. And then the following week he engineered two game-winning drives against the Cowboys, you know, and then we, we blew both of them. So, like, those things get forgotten when your team is just constructed terribly, you know, and, and it really is sad what the Giants have kind of done the last half of, you know, Eli's career. And, you know, the, the win-loss record does reflect that, but there's so much more to being a, a great, historically great or legendary quarterback than the win-loss percentage. And I just want to make, make, make that state. It's cool. It is cool that he got back to 500 yesterday. He's still a winning quarterback. You can include the 8-4 postseason record which people forget about great uh, point so too. 125 and 121 yep. total uh but you know it just it just that drives me nuts and these are all stats that i guarantee you nobody even you know thought about until they're displayed on television like yesterday when the when cbs said that you know now miami is the only uh was the only remaining team yet throwing interception against and everybody's having a field day with that you know i just those are things that are so meaningless and my God, if the price the price to pay to beat Belichick Patriots twice in the Super Bowl is to throw a pick against every team, I'll pay that price 101 <laughs> times out of 100. <laughs> I mean, nah, you know, those those, those, those <laughs> memories are are way worth it for me. So I just want to make that that point that you know the 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 Giants kind of ruined the back half of the of, of Eli's career, sadly, with some poor management and you know reluctance to kind of be progressive and, and all that. But I just yesterday, what happened yesterday just puts stats kind of out the window and just makes you think big picture and. Man, what what a day! And I'm, that memory of Eli kind of standing there holding back gears in the sideline, being the true pro that he always is, was was really cool. I cried buckets. I'm a, I'm a grown man in my 30s. I I love that. <laughs> thank I'm you. Gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully get a picture of that and frame it in my house someday. So thank you for the call, my friend. I appreciate yeah, it. All right, Andy. Good stuff. Yeah, I, Lance hates quarterback well, records. I, you I hate quarterback records. Yeah, so I mean, I really don't have much to add to uh, what the last caller said. Uh, I've been preaching that all along. I will say this though, when you credit a quarterback for winning big you also need to credit the team around him for helping him so while you want to sell me on the fact that the record in years where it went rough for the Giants is not reflective of Eli when he went out and won Super Bowls you got to give credit to the defense 100% okay it goes yep. both ways especially in, in fairness especially in 2007 when he was still a young quarterback Correct. and the defense was the best part of that team now 2011 he put everybody on his back. 2011, he did not have a lot going on around him that year. No, and it was, was the passing game that got that done. Even though in the Super Bowl, yeah, it was well, actually more of a defensive game. But in general that year, they had one of the worst-ranked defenses. They had the worst-ranked running rushing game. Rushing attack, yeah. Yeah, you'd, but you would Eli throwing a Victor Cruz and Akeem Nix, and they basically carried the team to the Super Bowl. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. Eli's 2011 regular season specifically. I mean, forget the postseason. He, game in and game out, had to air it out. And where fourth quarter performance that year was yeah, off the charts. Because they played from behind so much. I actually brought up the postseason numbers just to uh, confirm what you were talking about. 07, six touchdowns, one interception, and then 11, nine, and one. Okay, so he had so one in each then. So 15, 15 and and versus two in those two Super Bowl two runs. two and eight playoff games in the two Super Bowl years? And what was his quarterback rating in those two years? Do you have that there, too? Uh, quarterback rating, let's see, in 2007, 95.7. Pretty good. And in 11, 103.3. Pretty damn good. Yeah. And again, quarterback rating's not everything, but no, still. but it's you know, reflective of at least what the individual did. And, uh, yeah, there's no question when it came to the big stage, uh, Eli delivered more often than not. There's no doubt about that. That's still, you know, one portion of a career, but... I always say this, you're defined as a player based on what you do on the biggest stage. I feel about that way with respect to all professional sports. The, especially basketball. Yeah, you, well, especially basketball. You don't play the game just to get there and right. then, you know, congratulate yourself and have a parade. It's you get there and then do something with it. So Eli and the Giants teams in 07 and 11 didn't just get there. They did something with it.
And that tells a lot of the story. And if people don't understand that from 2012 to 2019, he was fighting an uphill battle with what's around him, it just means they weren't watching. And again, he was able to win the games before that because he had help. But as much as a quarterback can impact the game, if you don't have enough help around you, it's going to be really, really tough. Just is. It's team sport. It's the ultimate team sport. And you can't wiggle around that. That's extremely well documented in football, much more so than any other sport. And I think we saw that even at times this season, I mean, in 2019. I mean, just look at Tom Brady's numbers this year. I mean, the guy's no one to throw to. His offense, he has Marshall Young Newhouse playing left core. tackle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Guess what? His numbers are down. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look at the guys around him. Duh. But, but at the same time, he's had a good defense, and that's helped overshadow some of their offensive shortcomings. So it goes hand in hand. I yep. mean, you need the other facet to help you out. Aaron Rodgers has had help from defenses. Tom Brady's had help from defenses. Ben Roethlisberger has had help from defenses. So has Eli Manning. Nobody's immune from this narrative that the quarterback alone is on an island and he single-handedly snaps his fingers and wins games. And no one's immune to age either. As guys get closer to 40, you're not going to be as good. You're not going to be the same player at 31 that you are at 39, 38, whatever. You're just not. That's how father time works. No one's immune to it. The wear and tear gets the best of everybody. That's more of a reason why the fact that Eli has never missed a game due to injury is quite remarkable. And he's come close, by the way. I mean, you ask a lot of his former teammates, they'll tell you. He's come close. There was a year where he had a high ankle sprain the last game of the year. If they had to play the following week, he wouldn't have played. So, yeah, some of that's luck, but it's also playing through injuries and knowing how to take hits to not get injured. Anyway, we're, we're, we're going down a rabbit hole. Lance, good stuff. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Good job by the callers today. Paul and Russ will be with you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live at 1.30. Make sure you check it out. If you want to see the archive of Big Blue Kickoff Live, go to Giants.com slash podcast. You can find Big Blue Kickoff Live and all the other Giants podcasts, including Giants Huddle and Giants Rewind with Carl Banks and the Giants Interview Podcast. Again, Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and on all your favorite podcast platforms. Find it, subscribe, and enjoy some good Giants content. Two more games left this year. We'll have coverage of it on Giants.com. Make sure you check it out on the Giants mobile app as well. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Again, 1.30 tomorrow, Datino and Salzburg on Big Blue Kickoff Live. See you then. Have a good one.